Let's go again to Romans chapter 16. Romans chapter 16. I was sorely tempted to, and I'm fully prepared, slides and everything, to deal with Nephilim again today. I did it two years ago, May of 2012, but I'm troubled by how many people believe that angels came down from heaven and had sex with women in Genesis chapter 6, and the, the offspring are this super race science fiction things that are in the earth. The Noah movie that's out there has these watchers that are these offspring. God cursed them, so they're made of stone, and they have six arms. I was talking to some brother who said, I can't wait for Darren Aronofsky to get to heaven and meet the creatures with six wings. Amen. Do you know where he'll be in one nanosecond? On the deck to meet one of the cherubim and seraphim of Almighty God. Right. I hope that there's no one in our church that would be such that would have such itching ears that they could listen to such a fable. Right. The other Bible versions have the word Nephilim in Genesis chapter 6 and the word Nephilim in Numbers 13:33. And so they say that there are these super this super race of people in the earth that are diabolical by their father because the sons of God married the daughters of men. They forced the sons of God to be angels and the daughters of men to be humans. But wasn't there an event that took place between Genesis 6 and Numbers 13, 33? Yep. Unbelievable. The flood. Could there be an offspring that survived the flood without the angels coming back down and doing it all over again? There's little tiny documents on our website. One's a PowerPoint presentation on Nephilim, and one's a little document that somebody did. I had so much pleasure reading his work in the last two days, who came up with 40 reasons why they're idiots that would believe such a ridiculous heresy. And it comes down to rightly dividing the word of truth. When you get into Genesis chapter 6 and it says the sons of God married the daughters of men, you've got to make a choice. How am I going to define the sons of God? Am I going to run over to Job and find out that the angels are called the sons of God in Job, three places in Job? Or am I going to look at all the other references in the Bible for the people of God being called the sons and children of God? And then look at what God really hated and what was taking place and what Jesus said about Noah's day. They were marrying and giving in marriage. And it says it was a problem in the flesh. It's very specific in Genesis chapter 6. It's only people with itching ears that want to present fables and want to talk about governmental governmental conspiracies that probably in our joint chiefs of staff, there's probably a watcher. You know, he's probably got four arms strapped down under his clothes, and the other two are in his suit jacket sleeves. Just Romans 16.20, where that lie and all other lies come from. And the God of peace shall bruise Satan under your feet shortly. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. We have had the instructions in verses 17 and 18 what the church at Rome should do to protect themselves from heresy. We've had encouragement in verse 19 about their faithfulness and obedience thus far, but yet a further exhortation by Paul that he would have them wise concerning good and simple concerning evil, Paul knowing that this church would end up being horrible against the kingdom of heaven. And then he tells them without saying any more, and some of you, I hope, have already come to the conclusion why Paul would not write the Romans and say anything that would cause the Roman government to be against them, just like he wrote the Thessalonians. And he said, there is something that is hindering the rise of the man of sin. And until that is taken out of the way, the man of sin cannot be fully revealed. And he was referring to the Caesars. Until Caesar was taken out of the way by the Visigoths in 476 A.D., there was a potent 
head of the Roman pagan empire. But when he was taken out of the way, the bishop of Rome had already become the most important bishop in all the churches. And once the emperor was out of the way and the capital of the Roman Empire was moved to Constantinople, named after Constantine at the other end of the Mediterranean Sea, then the bishop of Rome became the pope of the Roman Catholic Church. And that's what's taught in Second Thessalonians 2. That's what's taught in Daniel chapter 7. Not until that Roman beast evolves into ten horns, the nations of Europe, would another little horn arise among them different from the ten, because he's a religious power, and would make war against the saints of God. Paul knew those things, and yet he's very discreet right here. He has instructed them, he has encouraged them, he has further exhorted them, and then he says, and the God of peace shall bruise Satan under your feet shortly knowing the full extent of the war that was coming and that Jesus Christ would have the ultimate and complete victory. Do you understand that when we looked at Revelation chapter 12, what was the beast called in the first few verses? Satan, that old serpent. Because it's a devilish power that's behind all lies. The pagan Roman Empire had Satan behind it. The papal empire had Satan behind it. When I turn to 1 Timothy chapter 4, and it describes two of the chief rules of the Catholic Church, abstaining from meats and forbidding to marry. What's it called? Doctrines of devils. When I go to Genesis chapter 3, who came and told the first lie in the Bible? Thou shalt not surely die. Who said that? By sticking a knot into God who had said, I mean, into the words of God who had said, Thou shalt surely die. Who did that? That old serpent, Satan. He's a liar. Look at John chapter 8 and verse 44. All false doctrines come from the devil. Jesus is saying this to his own nation. He is saying this to a group of people who had temporarily believed on him. Verse 30 says, And as he spake these words, many believed on him. Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him, and he pushed them for the next ten verses, and then he says this about them. Verse 44, Ye are of your father the devil, and the lusts of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. That's where lies come from. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 11. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. I hope every father in this church and grandfather understands that because certain people say they love Jesus, say they have accepted Jesus, sing about Jesus, that is not enough. You are playing with fire if you allow your family or your children to associate with those people. Would to God you could bear with me a little in my folly. And indeed, bear with me. I wish all of you fathers were as jealous for your children as I am jealous for you. Verse 2 of 2 Corinthians 11, For I am jealous over you with godly jealousy. For I have espoused you to one husband, that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. We want all of us to be chaste virgins to the Lord Jesus Christ, meaning that we have not committed spiritual fornication with anyone else, nor do we even spiritually flirt with anyone else. But I fear, lest by any means, any means, any means, as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your minds should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. For if he that cometh preacheth another Jesus, whom we have not preached, or if ye receive another spirit, which ye have not received, 
or another gospel, which ye have not accepted, ye might well bear with him. We have got to be on the lookout. We have got to be eternally vigilant. We have got to harden ourselves to the point where because someone says something about Jesus, or they love Jesus, or I love the gospel, it doesn't mean anything to us. We want to see the fruit and action of their lives. We want to see how many of the ancient landmarks of New Testament Bible religion that they're holding to. Because I'll tell you, these people that you think are decent Christians because they're nice, listen, why don't you go with me and we'll meet some Mormons? They're nicer. Why don't you go with me and we'll meet some nuns? They're nicer. The nuns took care of me like they were my own mother. When I got my finance degree from a Catholic school, they prayed for me every day. They would call me at the bank and tell me, Jonathan Crosby, we just want you to know we, we prayed again. We pray every day for you. I have cold sweat. I hope I'm a, a little tiny bit like Paul. I'm jealous. And I do not understand why some of you are so simple that because somebody sings about Jesus, because they use a King James Bible, because they're Baptists, that you think that's good enough. You're playing with fire. You're subjecting your children to a counterfeit, maybe a little closer to the original, that will be more difficult for them to perceive the difference. And they will start to second-guess and doubt the things that we believe in this church, the things that you have taught them, and it is bye-bye child. I don't care if they say Jesus. I don't care if they talk about the Spirit. I don't care if they use a King James Bible. I don't care if they present the Gospel. They don't know what the Gospel is. They don't know who Jesus is. If I go to Bob Jones University and I walk in their bookstore, do they know who Jesus is just by the picture that they have for sale in their bookstore? No, they don't know who Jesus is. It is another Jesus. As soon as you hear them preach, you know it's another Jesus. As soon as you hear their invitation, you know that it's another Jesus. As soon as you sit in their Bible classes, you understand that they are hypocrites, that in the pulpit they read from the King James Bible, but they teach all their preacher boys that the New American Standard Version and now the English Standard Version is a better Bible translation than the King James Bible. And on and on you go. You push them on holidays. You push them on musical instruments. You push them on other things that are taught in the Bible. And you will find out that they don't love Jesus, the gospel, or the Holy Spirit. You will find out that they have a different spirit than the one they've deceived you with. As the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, Satan lied to Eve. He He wanted her to look at that thing. He wanted her to question God's word. Are you sure you've got to be that strict as your church? That's ridiculous. I've never heard about a church like yours. No musical instruments? Are you kidding? I've never heard about a church like yours. Well, you know, if they had ever exercised their minds enough to get up to room temperature IQ, they would find out that just a couple hundred years ago, there wasn't a musical instrument in any church but Rome's churches in the world. And on and on we could go. Talk to them about prophecy. They have defied Second Thessalonians chapter 2 in that they understand the order and they preach the order and they demand that you believe this order, that Jesus Christ comes in a secret rapture. Then there's a falling away. Then there the man of sin is revealed. They take Daniel chapter 9 and that glorious, beautiful 70 weeks prophecy and jam a 2,000 year gap in between the 69th week and the 70th week. They sell C.I. Schofield's Bible like his notes are near Scripture or equal to Scripture. I've been there. You take an innocent little 19-year-old boy and set him in that chapel on a Sunday morning when there's 2,500 young women dressed to the hilt, all with hats on, the organ is playing Baroque music for 15 minutes of silence.
a speech teacher or someone is allowed to get in the pulpit and preach a sermon, and a little boy writes home to his parents and says, I felt the Holy Spirit. Then, as I went further in orientation and found out that they had four-ton chillers hanging above the ceiling, I knew what I had felt. They got me forward once. I'm ashamed. But it's all manipulative. They work you over. Let's come down to verses 13 through 15 and get our point. For such are false apostles. Who's he talking about? Back up there in verse 4. For if he that cometh preacheth another Jesus. So when somebody comes and preaches another Jesus, or another spirit, or another gospel, these are the men that are being talked about here, written about by the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 11. Verse 13, for such are false apostles. These men that come and teach a Jesus different than I taught you, or bring a spirit along with them different than I brought with me, or a gospel that you haven't accepted yet because I didn't bring it to Corinth, they are false apostles, they are deceitful workers, that means they're liars, they're transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ, and no marvel, this is no big deal, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also be transformed as the ministers of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their works. We will trample them under our feet. I need to ask all of you, is the apostle, in verses 13 through 15, talking about the pagan priests of Corinth's temples? Is he talking about the Greek philosophers of Mars Hill? Is he talking about something overtly wicked? No. What is he talking about? Another brand of Christianity. Because it involves a Jesus, it involves a spirit, it involves the gospel, it involves righteousness, it involves light, but it is darkness. Because this is how we measure. And if we depart from these words and this gospel and this Jesus and how salvation is accomplished by the Lord Jesus Christ against their corruption of Revelation 3.20 and every other verse they touch, we are going down into error. And you are going down as a father. You're going down as a grandfather. We have to protect our children. It is our jobs, and I have to protect this church. And so all of that that I have said thus far is because Romans 16.20 tells us that the divisions and the offenses and those that cause them are manipulated by the devil. The devil is behind Roman Catholicism, 1 Timothy 4, 1-3. Remember, the pagan dragon empire of Rome is called Satan, the serpent. In Revelation chapter 12, it is the devil that brings about false religion. You say, I can't believe that. I just can't believe that. They're such good people. Okay. Hold with, will you hold with me? There's 7.5 billion people on earth. How many people have you known in your lifetime? Just give me a number. I mean, known. To where, to where you got to know that they're good or not. Now, give me a number. Let's say it's a thousand. I'm being very generous with you unfriendly types. But let's say it's a thousand. One thousand as a percentage of seven and a half billion. Is it statistically significant? Okay. Of that, of that thousand, did you grow up in a protected home? Did you have parents that sent you to Christian schools? Were you sort of protected? Were your parents Baptists? So really the only people you've been around are Baptists or maybe Presbyterians for a few years at Mitchell Road. I didn't mean to let that out. Um, think about it. How many Mormons have you known? Be honest with me. How many Mormons have you known? I mean, known. You haven't known any. How many Catholic nuns have you known? So when you tell me I just can't believe that you're preaching so strictly that if I were to cut these people off, I would be cutting off good people that love Jesus. 
You've never met a good Catholic. You've never met a good Seventh-day Adventist. You've never met a good Mormon. They are in every way as good as any of the Bob Jones types that are in this city. I've been there. I've known them. I've worked with them. I appreciate, I do appreciate why some of you let your children work at Chick-fil-A. I do. But I'll tell you, working at Burger King, the difference is more identifiable to your children. So you have got to be very careful. If we were to sit down with the best, let you pick from this thousand people you've known, pick the best Christian that you know, let me have lunch, a lunch that has no time limit on it. And I will bring the ancient landmarks of our faith and the word of God, and you will find out that those people have inside of them a spirit of hatred for truth. I will take the art museum of Bob Jones University and those fake men that run that university and thank their preachers and jam it down their throats. They will come up swinging and want to kill you. And I will not just have that argument. I will have a hundred. And I will show you that they are frauds. I have to leave these four verses when I say amen today and go on. So I am letting it all out. We live in one of the most blessed areas of the country. On the T account, I can write fast. We live in one of the most dangerous places in the country. If we lived in Salt Lake City, the difference between us and them would be so stark we wouldn't have as big of a problem. Please think with me. Don't play with fire. Don't play with lies. Don't play with anyone that would question the Word of God. What should Eve have done in Genesis chapter 3 as soon as it got started? Cut him off. Where should Adam have been? What should Adam have been loading? Just give me a number. A 460 Weatherby Magnum? To blow the devil's head off. He let his wife talk to the devil. Yea, hath God said, and that's what they do to your children. Your church is that strict? you got to be kidding me. They don't have an invitation? Those little people, they're so ignorant of church history, they're idiots. They sell Charles Spurgeon stuff. Do you know why they sell Charles Spurgeon stuff? Do you need help? It's this right here. It's this right here. Money. Because he's so popular. Did Charles Spurgeon ever have a musical instrument? In the Metropolitan Tabernacle? Never. Was he a Calvinist? Yes. Did Jesus Christ only die for the elect? Yes. And they're Arminians. What do they have all that Catholic art for in the art museum? Is there any false doctrine in there? Why would they even have it? Why would you want one Catholic painting of Roman Catholic art? Why would you want a painting of Mary standing on the head of the serpent when the book of Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15 in its first prophecy of Jesus Christ says that her male seed would bruise the serpent's head. And I need that word bruise. So just hold it for a second because I'm off in left field somewhere from my notes. But I'm scared. And you're hearing my jealousy. And it's not jealousy for Jonathan Cross because he couldn't care less on a number of levels. But he does love the Lord Jesus Christ and he has only one purpose to preach and that is to present you as chaste virgins to him. Spiritual virgins, religious virgins, doctrinal virgins in that you're not off playing, flirting, committing spiritual fornication with another Jesus. How, why do you want to play with, I, I would have you to be wise concerning good and simple concerning evil. Get that evil out of their lives. 
and just keep reinforcing the good, the good, the good of what's in the Bible. I've grown up around those good people all my life. All the first part of my life. Press them with the word of God and you'll find out that they don't fear God. And the God they love is different than ours and the Jesus they love is different than ours. Just push them. Push them. Romans 16, verse 20, The God of peace shall bruise Satan under your feet shortly. When I started Romans 16, a couple of months ago, a young man in our church, Sayer by name, in a group of men said to me, in Romans 16, what does it mean about bruising Satan under our feet shortly? If it's shortly, what bruising is it? I said, you're trying to cheat and get ahead in Romans 16? He and I have already been over this passage, but I want to commend him for a very good question. That's the toughest verse in Romans 16 by far. Verse 20. What is the bruising? What is Whose feet? When? And how can it be called shortly? So let's look at it very quickly. Romans 16, 20, the God of peace shall bruise Satan under your feet shortly. Our blessed and our, our beloved brother Paul, we won't call him blessed, but he is blessed. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and call, all, call you all manner of evil names falsely. But he is our beloved brother Paul, according to Peter's words in 2 Peter 3. He's already used this name or designation for God in the last verse of chapter 15 when he said, Now the God of peace be with you all. Amen. And remember I told you then that it was like Paul was trying to close out, but he still had some things he wanted to share with the church at Rome. Now he looks like he's closing out in verse 20 because he uses his salutation in every one of his epistles, but he is still going to add some verses before he finishes it out finally. The God of peace. He used it before, but he's using it now because the issue that is being dealt with right here are divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which ye have learned. And it is a pain in churches to have to exclude people. It is a pain in churches for divisions to arise. It is a pain in churches when offenses come up. It is a pain in church, churches when we lose some of our children. It is a pain. It is horrible. It is confrontational. It is strife-ridden. It's, it's, it's terrible. What's the solution? The final solution. We've looked at a temporary solution. Every church should mark and avoid anyone that even comes close to division or offenses contrary to this doctrine. Everything taught in the New Testament. Well, what's the final solution? The God of peace is going to send the Lord Jesus Christ and burn this world up and cast the devil into the lake of fire and we will come with Him riding on white horses behind Him and we will judge angels with Him. We will judge the devil himself. In the power and name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what Romans 16 and verse 20 is teaching. The God of peace shall bruise Satan under your feet shortly. God promised, I love the word bruise. Are we still holding to the King James Bible in this church? Well, when I have the word bruise, is there some place that your mind wants to go? Genesis 3.15 And there is only one person doing the bruising And if we're involved in it, we're only doing it with Him, behind Him, and serving Him. This is the bruising of Satan promised in the Garden of Gethsemane, first done at the cross, officially, finally, formally done when Jesus Christ throws the devil into the lake of fire, Revelation chapter 20 and verse 10. Let's get there this way. First of all, We want to compare spiritual things with spiritual. And so when we see that word bruise, in fact, I would like you to turn to Genesis chapter 3 because it is just such a wonderful initial promise of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. God spoke these words to the devil. He didn't speak them to Adam or Eve. He spoke them to the devil. Verse 14, And the Lord God said unto the serpent, We want verse 15. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman and between thy seed and her seed. It 
shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. Male, singular, pronoun. What child is going to be born in the future of the world that will destroy the devil? There is a spirit behind this world. There is a spirit behind every government. The book of Daniel tells us about the prince that was behind the Grecian government. The prince that was behind the Persian government. And they were devils. That Michael and Gabriel and these other angels that came to assist Daniel had to fight with these evil spirits that were manipulating and moving and motivating these pagan governments. There is a warfare going on outside of our sight. We are very limited, little flesh and blood creatures. So these little, these little sacks of mucous membrane, muscle, whatever is in the socket. Right. So all of you are smiling that have taken anatomy. I never took anatomy for a very good reason. I couldn't have passed it. But anyway, this thing that's called our eyeball, it doesn't see those things. They're beyond our sight. But there is a war. It's a war for our souls. There was a war in heaven. There is a war. That fire-breathing dragon with the woman riding upon it, that's the Roman Catholic Church saying, giddy up, giddy up, to the pagan Roman Empire. The Roman Catholic Church rode the pagan Roman Empire into power. The beast, the, the fourth beast of Daniel 7, the Roman beast, it died, it came back to life. Read Revelation with your understanding opened. The beast that was, that was not, and yet is. Pagan Rome was overthrown in 476 A.D. But Papal Rome came into power shortly thereafter and then ruled Europe as the Holy Roman Empire. We can't see the spiritual warfare. All we can see is what's external and outward. Our eyes fail. But the Word of God, if you have eyes of faith, you open up and you say there's going to be enmity. You can read God speaking to the devil in verse 15. I will put enmity between thee and the woman. There is going to be war. And between thy seed and her seed, it shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. And we are all Jesus Christ today. The devil is after us, as a roaring lion walking about seeking whom he may devour. Back to Romans chapter 16. It says, the God of peace shall bruise Satan under your feet shortly. Jesus Christ made an open show of the devil at the cross. He was cast out of heaven after the cross because there was nothing that he could lay against the charge of God's elect. He was put in the bottomless pit in Revelation chapter 20. And what does it mean when he was put in the bottomless pit? It tells you right in Revelation chapter 20 that he could deceive the nations no more. All that that chapter is talking about is a metaphorical picture of the devil being restrained in his ability to keep all the nations in total ignorance. That's all it is. So if the gospel could go forth with even fishermen preaching, like Peter, or men like Paul and the other apostles could go forth and preach and they would find converts even in prisons, jails in Philippi, or beside rivers in Philippi. The gospel could go forth because Satan was bound by the first coming of the Lord Jesus Christ from deceiving the nations any longer. But we're told and we're warned in Revelation chapter 20 that at the end of this gap between the first coming of Jesus Christ and the second coming, Satan is going to be loosed for a little season to deceive the world again. And he and all those that follow him that believe his lies are going to come up against the camp of the saints. And there is going to be war, but it's going to be spiritual war. Do you know how they want to get you distracted? That it's going to be Russian tanks and US F-16s fighting this war. Oh, that's never worked. And the devil's not as dumb as... Tim LaHaye and the other guys that right left behind. The devil's got a new technique, and it's lies. And they're going to come up against the camp of the saints because he's going to deceive the world again into a false religion and come against us who are trying to hold fast to the faith once delivered to the saints. But he will be finally judged and tormented forever and ever, cast into the lake of fire, Revelation chapter 20 and verse 10. Remember the demons, the devils, demons is not in the Bible, Devils, demons. Why don't I want to use demons anymore? I'm sorry that I grew up with the word demon. Demon, 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 demon. You know, 
I just grew up with the word demon. It's not in the Bible, so I don't want to use it. Because once we depart from Bible language, we're, we're, we're treading on thin ice. Amen. Some, you know, then we come up with some half-witted creature between angels and men and Nephilim and watchers and devils. Spirits. Evil spirits. Let's use Bible terminology. When Jesus Christ was on earth... Men that were possessed of evil spirits would fall at his feet and ask, Art thou come to torment us before the time? There is a very specific time of their eternal torment, and they know it. And it is laid out for us in Revelation chapter 20 and verse 10. It is not the bottomless pit where Satan is being held at bay right now from deceiving the nations because Satan is not really being held at bay altogether, is he? Because he's still the roaring lion walking about seeking whom he may devour. He can still come after you personally. And he still does. We're still to take the whole armor of God in order to be opposed to the devil and his wiles. But he doesn't deceive the nations anymore. And that's why the gospel's gone everywhere. That's why we have people writing us from every nation on earth. 230 of them. That's not every one of them. But that's many of them. Most of them. And the God of peace shall bruise Satan under your feet. Okay. What bruising of Satan? Here are the ideas that men have proposed for Romans 16.20 I thought that I would share with you. And then together we'll pick the one that fits. The God of peace shall bruise Satan under your feet shortly. Was it when this Roman epistle arrived in Rome and was understood by the Romans to defeat their heretics? That would be shortly. That would be like no time at all because they wouldn't even know that Paul had said shortly until the epistle was being read. No. What bruising of Satan took place there? The black eye? We want a better bruising than that, don't we? Don't we want his eternal destruction? A fatal wound? Because it's fatal in Genesis 3.15. Was it when this epistle had arrived? We say, no. Was it when Paul arrived in Rome and by apostolic authority and knowledge defeated the heretics? It's a possibility, but we say no. Was it by the gospel of the apostles and others that turned the world upside down? The gates of hell shall not prevail against the gospel of Jesus Christ being the Son of God. No, we don't think so. Was it when Titus took several legions into Judea, besieged Jerusalem, and utterly, utterly destroyed it? No, because that didn't have a thing to do with the Roman church. Was it when Constantine confessed some variant form of Christianity and ended severe persecution? No, that wasn't really a bruising of Satan. Was it when the beast would be defeated and the gospel would go forth in much greater power? The Reformation? No. Or is it when the Lord Jesus Christ returns and the saints join in with him to judge the devil? Notice, the God of peace shall bruise Satan under your feet shortly. So, the God, God is going to be involved in this. It's going to be more than the Apostle Paul doing some preaching. And it's going to be under their feet. Their feet. Those Roman saints, along with the other saints that have read this epistle, are going to be trampling over the devil. And God is going to give them the final victory over Satan. There is an event that fits this best of all by far. And it is the final day of this earth's history. It is the great day of judgment. It is when the Lord Jesus Christ will cast the devil into the lake of fire. It is when we will judge angels, as 1 Corinthians 6, 1-3 through 3 describes. This is the climactic day when the devil will no longer make any kind of war, either personal or national. He will be bruised and put out of work. There will be no more divisions. There will be no more offenses. There will be no more false teachers that cause divisions and offenses. And we choose this latter one because it fits everything else that is taught in the Bible and it fits this context best as they will be the ones trampling over Him and causing the bruising along with the Lord Jesus Christ because of Genesis chapter 3. We assume this last option. And so we understand the word shortly differently than some might understand it. It is hard to imagine Paul would be so creative about his epistle without explaining it a little more perfectly. The destruction of Jerusalem didn't have anything to do with it. Constantine was no hero to Bible Christianity. If there was ever an emperor of Rome that was manipulated by the devil, it was Constantine. Just go read about him. Does John 8.44 say anything about he was a murderer from the beginning? Then go read about the life of Constantine. 
It's amazing how many Christians look to Constantine as a savior of Christianity. Go read his le- go read a little just pull up Wikipedia and read a few things about Constantine. I don't want to say any more than I've already said. I don't want to speak evil of dignities. So you can just go read the historical facts about him. He's no hero to Bible Christianity. The enemies of the true gospel became more subtle under him and after him. The ruin of papal Rome was far off, and a bruising of Satan at that time is not taught elsewhere in the Bible. The great day of judgment and the casting of the devil and his angels into hell is a key event taught in the Bible. Satan's legal bruising took place at the cross, but he still torments unbelievers and believers in a vital and practical way. His final destruction is the great day of judgment when he shall be cast into eternal torment, which was what those devils in the days of Jesus Christ were looking out to, wondering, is it happening before we thought it was going to happen? To torment us before the time, because their torment is described in the book of Revelation. Paul had already pointed the believers in this epistle to the final phase of salvation, glorification, in Romans chapter 8. Paul had already prophesied about Christ's second coming being nearer than when we believed in chapter 13, verse 11. And that knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep, for now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. And when we were back there in Romans chapter 13, we came to the conclusion that that was the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, the final dissolution of all things, our reception into heaven, and our declare, our, us being declared righteous by the Lord Jesus Christ formally and officially to the whole world. We look at that event as the event where Satan is bruised under our feet because with the Lord Jesus Christ, we didn't die with Him on the cross. He did that alone, and the Bible says it very plainly that He did that alone. But in the great day of judgment, we shall reign and rule with Him. In Revelation chapters 2 and 3, it says, If you'll be faithful, I'll give you a rod of iron, and you can rule over the nations with me. I'll let you sit in my Father's throne. I'll let you sit in my throne with me. And 1 Corinthians 6 says, as I've mentioned already, that we will judge angels. Okay, what about the word shortly? Pastor, I believe what you've said so far, but what about the word shortly? Why does it say the God of peace shall bruise Satan under your feet shortly? Well, he's already called it nearer in chapter 13, and this word is put there to see if you'll get hung up on it. Now, is there any group of people that do get hung up on the word shortly? It starts with P. Preterous. Remember all their timing verses? Can you remember the length at which I went to show you that through the Old Testament, through the New Testament, there are words used like quick, near, short, that described events that were hundreds and thousands of years later? Because You say, well, how can God do that? Let me use the simplest approach. A thousand years is as one day, and one day is as a thousand years. Do you need more? In God's way of looking at time, a thousand years is as one day. You say, well, where did he use that statement? He used that statement in Second Peter chapter 3 about the second coming of Jesus Christ. Oh, that is pretty convincing. Uh, I think it's pretty convincing too. And where did Peter pull those words from? But Psalm 90 and verse 4, where they had already been used in the Bible, that a thousand years are as a day. So relax. When it says shortly, you know, it's only two days away. When Paul wrote and said, Satan's going to bru- you're going to bruise Satan under your feet shortly. Do you know how far away it was? Two days. Is that shortly? You say, where are you getting all that from? The Bible. By comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But are there other ways that we can prove it? In Revelation chapter 12, look at it. Revelation 12, the one we started with this morning, and we're about to finish. Revelation 12. Revelation 12, 12. Therefore rejoice, ye heavens. Satan's been cast out, so everybody in heaven gets to be excited. And ye that dwell in them, woe to the inhabitants of the earth and the sea, exclamation point, because the devil, for the devil has come down unto you, having great wrath, because he knoweth that he hath but a, oh, short time. Comforting. Thank you, Lord. Short time. Uh, when did Jesus arrive in heaven and throw the devil out? Was it about 30 A.D.? Is he still persecuting the church? Did he do it for 1,260 years, even by this prophecy in this chapter? Can we call 1,260 years short? 
On the authority of God's Word, we can. Oh, there's, there's, there's more examples that I could give you, brethren. Did the Lord Jesus Christ say it as He ended this book? Behold, I come quickly. Why would He say that? Because it was only two days away. Because He wanted everyone to be living in a state of imminence of the coming of Jesus Christ. If we knew that He wasn't coming for another hundred years, would you live as carefully, and maybe you don't have a conscience, so don't think about yourself if you don't have a conscience, would you live as carefully as if you knew He could come at any time? So there's always this presumption of imminence upon the saints. Behold, I come quickly. Revelation chapter 3, 11, chapter 22, verse 7, chapter 22, verse 12. 2,000 years is short in view of the history of the world, and it's, it's very short in view of eternity in both directions. It's just nothing. And this great conflict between God and the devil, and Jesus Christ and Satan, is going to come to an end with him being cast in the lake of fire, and he shall be bruised by the bruising that Jesus Christ gave him, first on the cross legally, but finally, officially, formally. I want you to love this day. There is a day coming in which a man, a man, the man, Christ Jesus, God manifest in the flesh, sitting on his throne, a man glorified flesh and blood, a man will take the devil and cast him into the lake of fire. Finally, formally, officially, gloriously before the whole universe. A man. That Satan came into the Garden of Eden and took our first father Adam and his wife Eve and corrupted them and our entire race. Jesus Christ has won the victory at the cross, but he still has a couple of little official events left. And one of them is to take the devil and cast him into the lake of fire. And we're going to be standing right there with them, and we're all going to go down. You know, we're all living in the fear of death right now. Do you know why we're all living in the fear of death? Because the devil brought death, death, death upon our bodies, death upon our spirits, eternal death, second death, death in the lake of fire. The devil brought all that upon us, but by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and through His mighty strength and His soul, sufficient sacrifice in the cross of Calvary, we shall all gather with Him in the great day of judgment, and down you go! There's not going to be any fact-finding judgment of us. When it says we're going to judge angels, it doesn't mean we're going to find out if the angels are good or bad. It means we're going to judge them. It's going to be the sentence of execution with the Lord Jesus Christ. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Isn't that... I, Amen. I just think that those two sentences in that 20th verse are wonderful. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. Do you know that that's the way that the Apostle Paul closes out every single one of his epistles? He tells us in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 17 and 18, this is my token in every epistle. Right. And for those people that want to argue about who wrote the book of Hebrews, just go read the book of Hebrews There's so many reasons that the Apostle Paul wrote it, but he also gave his salutation in it. But he gives his salutation here. Brethren, we have been translated into the kingdom of God's dear Son. God sent the Lord Jesus Christ, who was the stronger man. The devil was the strong man. He took our first parents. He took the whole human race, 6,000 years captive under God's justice system. We all have to die. We were part of his kingdom. And Ephesians chapter 2 says we were dead in trespasses and sins, walking according to the course of this world, the spirit of the, that now worketh in the children of disobedience. We were following the devil willingly. The Lord Jesus Christ, the stronger man, came along, destroyed his works by dying. You wanted to get my race under the penalty of death? Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. And he died what does the Bible say? To destroy him that had the power of death. Is that beautiful? That is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. He took death face on. He looked forward to it his whole ministry. 
He set his face to go to Jerusalem to destroy the works of the devil. The stronger man arrived, bound the strong man, spoiled his goods by going into his palace, which was the devil's kingdom, and pulling you and me out of it. And we didn't really want to go. It was like Lot and his family in the city of Sodom dragging us out of it, regenerating us by the power of his Holy Spirit, sending his gospel to tell what wonderful things he had done for us. And he's asking us now to resist the devil until I come. And when I come, the God of peace shall bruise him under your feet shortly. Until then, mark and avoid everyone that varies from apostolic doctrine. Be wise concerning that which is good and simple concerning that which is evil. They are not the servants of the Lord Jesus Christ, no matter what name they call upon. They are belly worshipers. They use good words and fair speeches to deceive the hearts of the simple. I'm sorry that these divisions are coming and they were going to be horrible in the Roman church. But the God of peace is going to give us everlasting peace. You know, sometimes there is peace made by taking two warring parties and getting them to like each other. That's peace. Warring parties that are enemies put it propitiated and made at one again. An atonement's made and they're reconciled. These are Bible words, reconciled, and so peace is made. That's what God has done with you and me. But the God of peace is going to make peace with the devil too. He's just going to flat out destroy him and cast him into the lake of fire so that he can't do any harm anymore, anywhere. No lying, no murdering, no conniving and conspiracy and deception. And so, Romans, can you hold on and mark and avoid and be wise concerning that which is good if you'll just hold on a little while? He that shall come will come. We enter into the kingdom of Jesus Christ actively by faith and baptism. We actively put on the armor of God as Nathan presented to you a couple of months, a few months ago. We resist him when we resist the devil. What does the devil do when we resist him? He flees. Why does he flee? He's already been defeated. And he knows it and he sees through us a victorious Lord Jesus Christ. He goes and looks for easier victims. We actively war by the armor of God by resisting and by holding to the truth. And total and final victory is coming, brethren. They can make all the scripts they want to in Hollywood. There is nothing as dramatic, nothing as glorious, nothing as far-reaching, nothing as powerful, nothing as brilliant as what I just told you and what the apostle told these Romans in Romans 16, 20. Now, whose side are you on? We're going to walk out of this place, and are you going to play around with another Jesus? Are you going to play around with this world? Are you going to be a friend of this world? Are you Are going to be a friend of those that believe in another Jesus? We will mark and we will avoid in this church. But I need your help in your homes. Right. Amen. May the Lord bless the preaching of his word. Amen. Jesus wins it all. Amen. Right.